Now here's an an unusual one in a sense because you're only going you get really short answers here. But um, Pavel Lushik, and I've pronounced that probably incorrectly. Probably, but he's probably used to it. Well, I'm going to say Brian <laughs> Brian Eno, who's another fan of the show. Let's say, yeah. um, and this would be a great Brian Eno question. He says, number one, what's your favourite Deep Purple record? Oh, um, well, um, that's a good question. Obviously, a lot of people would say Made in Japan. I actually really like, there's an in-concert record with two BBC concerts on, one from 1970 and one from 1972. That is my favourite Deep Purple record, but I love Fireball. As a studio record, Fireball is the one for me, which, again, is the one between the ones that people usually pick. Usually they pick In Rock or Machine Head. Fireball is good. Fireball for me. It's a little bit more experimental. I like like it for that reason. I'm going to go for the controversial Deep Purple by Deep Purple 1969 where they're doing Donovan covers yes. and so on. Because I, I really like that early Deep Purple, actually, where it's a kind of psychedelic rock band with also a feeling for the singer-songwriter music of the mm. period. And there's a sense of discovery about those early Deep Purple records that I like. And I still think they have it in the early Ian Gillan years as well. They've still got mm. that quality, but it's more established. And Gillan's just a great rock singer, whereas Rod Evans is more of a sort of pop singer in a sense. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that fond of those albums. But anyway, um, Fireball for me, is Fireball is the funkiest, at least of the Gillan lineup. It's the funkiest yeah. Deep Purple And even album. Burns all right, actually, the Coverdale. There's some great records. Uh, so, there's some great records after Gillan left. Yeah, but absolutely. So that would be my my favourite. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then he also asks Brian Eno. This is yeah. Um, who are your favourite drummers? Oh gosh, my favourite drummers. Um, I don't know. Uh, you answer that question first, Tim. What, well, let's see. Live, I think about the best it. drummers I've ever seen: John Christensen, Brian Blade. He was stunning. Um, and Manu Kache. What right. a stunning drummer to, to see yes. live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of favourite drummers for sort of, you know, sheer um, sound, that is quite difficult because, you know, I do like the classic Ringo, Keith Moon, Bonham trilogy. They're there for a reason. They had really interesting approach to sound and mm. playing that was essential to the greatness of the band's music mm. that they were in. Mm. Um, and I'm still a huge fan of that massive Bonham sound from the yeah, early yeah. 70s, you know, or, or even listening to Cashmere in the mid 70s and yeah. what have you. But generally speaking, I suppose there are a lot of jazz drummers like, you know, Brian Blade, John Christensen, who have this incredible flair. And also, I've got to say a, a big shout out to somebody who we've worked with, um, Steve Jansen. He's not yeah. the best drummer technically, but what an original he's drummer. He's pretty damn good technically. He, well, yeah. he's very precise, isn't he? But yeah. what an incredibly original approach to space sound yeah, rhythm. So, you know, Jansen's got to be one of my favourites of all time. I mean, I think between the two of us, we've been very lucky to work with him. I mean, Gavin Harrison, uh, you know, is the best, probably the best musician I've ever he's stunning, yeah. been, been in a band with, you know. I mean, he's just an extraordinary player. Um, Chris Maitland I thought was great. Chris is brilliant Lovely Craig, Craig Blundell brilliant Marco Miniman incredible. I've been very lucky to work with some amazing Chad Wackerman I was about to say Chad Wackerman Chad Wackerman I had he in my band he was my favourite drummer when I saw you play live because he was so musical and sensitive yeah. what yeah. a player they, I've been very fortunate to work with, with great drummers yeah but Gavin I think is uh, it, there's something about Gavin that's just uh, on another level I think to, to a lot I mean uh, some amazing players but Gavin's just on another level I think 
Well, I've been uh, playing recently with um, Andy Edwards. He used to be Robert Plant's drummer. He's also okay. an IQ. And he is amazing. I mean, very right. sensitive. He reminds me, out of all the drummers we've worked with, he's closest to Chris Maitland in that he's got a lot of feel. Right. But what he does that maybe Chris didn't even do is he can go massive, but just go absolute whisper. Right. So he's a whisper to a scream. Very sensitive, really interesting. And he's a close friend of Craig, who's your... Craig is who Craig's he rates very high as well. He's my current drummer as well. Shout oh. out also to to Lee Harris from Talk Talk. I oh mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean just that that whole kind of channeling a kind of almost minimalist. Well, it's almost and like, that gets oh. us back to Jackie Lipes. It well, it's also it's a bit of crowd rock, but it's also a bit of jazz sensibility, isn't it? And it's kind of all filtered into this very. I mean, just his playing on an album like Color of Spring, where they're still essentially a pop group. Um, I absolutely adore the sound yeah. and the approach on that record. Yeah, there's some great drummers that came out of the of the post punk era as well. Of course, you know, um, you know, we, we don't need to go through them all, but but some phenomenal drummers that kind of reinvented the language of of you know drumming. Was as, as a pop drummer, Stuart Copeland, I think. Yes, absolutely. Player, you know, Stuart Copeland, uh, absolutely. Yes, a great example. Great example. Another question, Tim. Okay, so somebody, a few people are kind of saying, is there any such thing as a perfect album? You know, in other words, is there any album where you wouldn't question a single track? Oh, well, Dark, the aforementioned Dark Side of the Moon, it's perfect. I mean, they mention Hands of Love themselves, which again, I think is a great See, I wouldn't. I, I love the record. I love the record. But I, I think there's a couple of tracks on it that for me are filler. Watching Me, Watching You. Was it Watching Me? Watching, watching Me watching Without me. You. Yeah, um, you're talking about the Jethro Tull watching me watching you or the ITV program. I was actually thinking of the Thompson. I was actually thinking of the Thompson Twins single okay. with Grace Jones uh, watching me. No, uh, watching me without you. I don't think it's that. It's not amazing. Uh, the Jig of Life. I could quite happily never hear that again. Jig of Life. I'm with you. So uh, you know, I don't think it's a perfect record. I'll, I'll go into one question somebody asked about whether either of us read music. No, I don't read music or yeah. write. No, I don't. No, read. same. Obviously, same. Here. I mean, for <laughs> me, I don't even know the vast majority of chords that I play. I have to put me them neither. in chord finder. Me neither. To find yeah, out. I, I usually show them to somebody in my band and say, I, I exactly. literally go up yeah. and say, I played that chord, and then Adam or, or Nick or somebody will say, Oh, you're playing a, a yeah. G sustained fourth with a flattened second. You know, like, or whatever. Um, no, I don't. I mean, I approach music like an idiot. You know, like a lot of the people that we like, to be fair. Ab no, absolutely. And yeah, the, the, the kind of non-musician sort of approach to making music. But but whereas you, but in a in a in a sort of context where you can harness the ability of great musicians, you know, you yeah. can bring them in to kind of help you, you know, realize what it is you're trying to realize. But you yourself kind of remain this kind of musically illiterate idiot at the center of the process. But in theory, the one that's having the ideas and the one that's kind of going. But I the think ship. the musically illiterate. Idiot, which again, I put myself into that category. I would put you in that category Thank as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a bit like, you know, Brian Eno, musically illiterate idiot. Yeah, completely. I'm sure he'd love that description. <laughs> as well as the inventor of music. Yeah. But I think that having the overview of the music, having an overview of what the sound is, what the direction is, is as important. And so, you know, I completely forget what I write. So if I'm writing with very few exceptions, you know, if it's a if it's a basic four to six chord acoustic strummer where I I know what I've done, the vast majority of pieces, I don't know what I've done. I just give it to somebody else and they've got to learn it after I've forgotten it. Yeah. But you really take it to an extreme Tim, because not only do you not know how to play, you don't know how to record music either. Of course I do. I speak as someone that's had to mix seven albums for Tim now and no, I'm joking. No, the vocals are well recorded, aren't I'm they? I'm joking. It was a bit of banter. Bit of banter. Bit of banter. 
cruel no, but actually, thrust. no, but there is a serious point to that, which is that you don't have a conventional approach to to recording music. You don't you don't necessarily try and get the best tones. You want to get the idea down quickly. Yeah. And I like that. I you know I like that sort of more kind of DIY aesthetic, outsider aesthetic too. Um, I'm more about getting things to sound lush and lavish. But the one thing I don't know anything about is the notes, the chords, the music. I, I just don't know that stuff. Well, I was always very influenced by, um, I mean, a few artists did it, but I remember in the 90s, the king of it was Mitchell Froome, where he would take really cheap recordings that maybe he'd done on a sort of Tascam 4-track yeah, yeah, yeah. and then take it into a beautiful well, LA Holger Chukai with his with Holger Chukai with his little yeah. sampler, which was a dictaphone, if I remember rightly. So he used to record, he used to record like, I don't know, some you know, Scandinavian folk song sung by some sheep herder on a mountain in, in Finland. Yeah. And he'd record it on his little dictaphone and then he'd hold it up to the microphone and pl- literally be pressing play. And it had this very scratchy kind of lo-fi aesthetic to it, didn't I? I love that. I love well, that. Same here. So it's like for me, you know, whereas I have tried to record the vocals and so the keyboards to a high level deliberately with guitars i've chosen the worst guitar i've got in the house you've achieved you've achieved and your goal i've recorded it yeah. through the computer microphone yes. rather than yes. a proper microphone and then degraded the sound from that point so i really like that combination of quite lush beautiful sounds with really degraded shitty uh, you've you've determined sonic detritus if your goal was to make the worst guitar sounds ever made you have achieved your, no i'm joking again now. <laughs> thank you very no, much I, I love it now obviously we we kind of share that that lo-fi yeah. sound. my favorite plugin uh at the moment is this plugin which makes everything it's, got, sound it's like, called make it shit make it shit yeah well it might as well be it's a plugin that basically emulates all of the old audio artifacts you get from old damaged cassettes I love that. Hiss, saturation, well, this, dropouts, is, wow, oh, yeah. flutter. It's brilliant. I love those cassette sounds. I agree. Um, Keith did ask a question, which is, you know, sort of related to things we've discussed, but I think it's an interesting one, really. And he says, are there any favourite albums you find that are greater or lesser than the sum of its parts? Oh, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. What I think he's meaning... Keith J. Dorr or Andrew Eldritch, as I think it is under a pseudonym, right. obviously, as he's a listener. Yeah. Is other albums that are actually better as a whole. You're listening to it as a whole, and it's a great album. But if you actually were to dive deep, it's actually quite weak. Composition is quite weak. Maybe even sonically it's quite weak. But for some reason, it represents more as a whole. Gotcha. Than it does. Okay, so know. I'm going to be controversial here. I, I would say the poster child for this, for this concept, is Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't think there's really more than a handful. You know, again, this is controversial. I'm sure the Beatles fanatics out there, of which there are so many these days. The Beatles has almost become a religion, it seems to me now. There are a handful of songs on that record that are brilliant. Day in the Life. Incredible. Incredible song. I know you're a big fan of She's Leaving Home. Yeah, yeah. The rest of them, honestly, the rest of the songs on that record are, I would say, second-tier Beatles songs. But when you listen to the whole, it somehow seems to have more weight than the original. And, of course, it's considered one of the greatest albums ever made. And I kind of understand why, but actually I don't think the individual songs are really 
on the whole, are really top tier, top tier Beatles songs. There but are much it, better songs on the White Album, on Revolver, blah 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 blah. Abbey Road. Yeah. Well, also the, from the same sessions, you know, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. Oh, yeah, amazing were, songs. You know, amazing. Possibly the best double A side of yeah, all time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think you're right. You know, I think the album is more than some of its parts. The, it's the combination of the artwork and the ebb and flow of the album, and also but the timing. That's it works. The timing. Yeah. It caught the summer of love perfectly. Yeah. And, the, and people had grown up with the Beatles, literally grown up. Well, not literally, obviously, but they'd grown up with the Beatles and followed them through the sort of, you know, the early years of the more kind of guitar, jangly pop. And suddenly to create a piece of music like A Day in the Life, I mean, that must yeah. have been. Psychologically, it's done such an impact. I remember because you know, I say the only time I've ever recorded in Abbey Road, you're conscious because Abbey Road really does, in a way, rely on its reputation. And they have all oh, yeah. of the old keyboards and microphones. Yeah. And you're in that room where yeah. Lennon and McCartney recorded their greatest work. And you're playing on that piano that actually created that final chord on A Day in the Life. Yeah. And weirdly, I mean, I'm not normally a sort of sucker for nostalgia or a sucker for any reputation. But I was kind of sucked into that because I know this stuff so deeply that it was just that's the piano right that that called i had that you know. when i went to polar studios in stockholm and they had benny's original right. piano that he'd played the the dancing queen diding diding yeah, yeah, diding yeah. apparently at least the that's what they that told was, at least that's what they told me you know the one that was mimicked on oliver's army to extinct yes yeah yeah that line it's a really memorable yeah. line so that it? that to me and i know what you mean it's what when you feel like you're touching a piece of history or a, a, an instrument that was used in something that is so ubiquitous in pop culture. Yeah. You can't help. I mean, for me, when I go down to Abbey Road, it's it's the kind of Floyd thing, you know. This yeah, is, this is this And is Radiohead where, as well. Yeah, this is where they recorded Piper at the Gates of Dawn, you know, Studio 2, Abbey Road, you know, wow. So those things, yeah. I mean, people like us that are nerdy about the history of, of and students of the history of popular music. But I also find myself sometimes thinking there's too much nostalgia for i mean i know this podcast is all about that so i'm being a bit of a hypocrite here there's too much nostalgia and awe sometimes for the past in terms of music and i wonder if that's one of the reasons why rock music has allowed itself to become so obsolete in the 21st century it stopped looking forward and it spends yeah. too much time looking back but that was kind of happening in the you know I yeah. think the cd age ushered that into an extent in the late 80s where Suddenly, classics were living alongside. Yeah, the but you new still movement. had. Yeah, but you still had artists like oh, yeah. Portishead coming out. But you that know, was radio the one era where yeah. suddenly the old artists yes. had come back with a vengeance. Plus, a lot of old catalogue was being resold, True. remastered, True. and the internet and, made it all available to to everyone. And yeah. the magazines, you know, you look yeah. at the magazines suddenly from the cutting edge of New Musical Express, um, Melody Maker, and so on. You had the Mojos, the Cues, especially you know the Mojos and Uncuts who. In effect, it was pure nostalgia. Um, so anyway, this person also asked the question, conversely, is an album packed with monster tracks? That actually just isn't very good. Oh. And uh, I think that is a good question. It's a good question, but it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? If it's packed with great tracks, how can it not no, be? No, I think, I think they're entirely right. I think there okay. can be tracks where, you know, you've got brilliant... You know, Queen might be a great example. Although the greatest hits, maybe. Well, uh, that. but that's well, the whole point about Queen. Queen always had filler tracks, on this. Yeah. And then a lot of filler. Oh, okay. Well, um, if you're talking about albums where there's, ama there's amazing highs, but there's a lot of low, there's lows too. Yeah, there's lots of records like that. Or albums that aren't very well structured. That, you know, okay. might be, you know, okay. fantastic tracks. So every track and is yeah, great in, its, in itself, yeah. You can't quite put it, or listen to it as an album, as a whole. Because, you know, yeah, because actually, obviously, great six collections work on that basis of every track 
has impact, but does it necessarily work as a collection? Well, that's interesting. So I, one album pops into my mind. It's not exactly fitting the bill here, but I remember when I was following the early years of, of ZTT and buying all those early Frankie singles, Relax, yeah. Two Tribes, when the album came out and... It had this incredible first side, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, the title track, the 15-minute track. And then side two had the three big singles that had yeah. been out. And it felt strangely anticlimactic. I agree. Yeah. Because, and I think the reason was that most of the singles had been reworked into these incredible extended 12-inch mixes. And suddenly you're presented with just the, the, the regular sort of radio 7-inch edits. I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to, you know, I want to listen to these ambitious 12-inch mixes. It suddenly seemed constrained, didn't it? It felt a bit tame. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I remember feeling like this was not... I mean, those three songs on side two, you know, Relax, War, Two Tribes, they're brilliant. They're some of the greatest pop singles of, of the era. And yet, as a side of music, it felt incredibly unsatisfying. Well, this comes through to another question that somebody asked around, you know, are there... And they think there aren't, but I think they're wrong in one respect. They say that there are no great double albums... Um, oh, can you think of one? But they're also saying, wouldn't a lot of these albums, and they're talking about The Wall, The Lamos Down, Quadrophenia, um, in the CD age, would they have been 60 minutes long? And actually, no, I don't. I think you know, the CD age, if anything, ushered in more filler, more, I've got 80 yeah. minutes, I'm going to use it. You know, there are so many albums that could have been great that are just too long by 10 20 30 minutes right because of the cd age but in terms of classic double albums are there any that are great statements i think i think it's it depends on the style of music and I, the reason i say that is that yes there is a sense that no matter how much you like somebody and you like the, the individual songs if they are essentially a song orientated artist with a sound it's hard to concentrate for more than 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Whereas Bitches Brew, Tangerine Dream Zeit, which are by definition more abstract, more runny, you might say. Yeah. They're ambient. They're just, it's just music which allows you to sort of, you know, float away with them. And you're not constantly being pulled in by, by great hooks or lyrics or that songwriter sensibility. I think those are double albums. I wouldn't change a, a thing and, about And those. that actually, I think, spills into the CD age in the sense that whereas 80 Minutes, to me, killed the discipline of the classic pop and rock album mm. and ushered in something that was quite dangerous artistically, the art forms that worked with the CD age were ambient, mm. electronica, mm. as you said, so, you know, Albums that did sprawl, but just had one mood, one atmosphere that was investigated in a certain way. So CD actually was very good for certain types of music, but not necessarily the classic album years of music. So again, the albums you mentioned, they would have been great CD age albums as well. Yeah. Because, you know, it was a continuous flow of 80 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the irony is that a lot of those artists suddenly started doing three, four, five CD yes. sets, you know, was five, six hours of ambient texture yeah. rather than like, 80 minutes. Oi. Edgar, get back. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, I mean, I, lo I love something. I, I know what they're getting at. I can't imagine an album like Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds being anything less than a double because he had to tell the story, and I love that record. So yeah, but I, I guess what I, I understand what they mean by that. There is a sense that I think if you're essentially a song-orientated artist, 
45 minutes, and we've discussed this on the podcast yeah, yeah. before, 40, 45 minutes, sometimes 35 minutes yeah, yeah. seems, but we love topographic oceans, don't we as well? Tell us the Even though it is, I'm not going to say it's, a, it's objectively speaking, it's probably not as good as Close to the Edge it's or Fragile. But actually, I'll find myself listening to it more. But but yes, it probably... Because it's unexpected. I think the yeah. thing with that is, again, that's kind of flowing. It's indulgent. Yeah. Um, and it sort of suits that sprawling format in a way. Well, and, and they let the um, ideas sort of, you know, play on a bit longer than they would normally on, on you know, some of the other records, which yeah. I personally personally um, quite, quite enjoy. But, you that. know, I know what the person's saying, yeah, because obviously I'd agree, you know, something like The Wall, for me... Side three is is its peak and it's great up to that point. And side four is something of an afterthought almost. There are great moments, but it just doesn't work in that way. The Lamelo's Down is similar for me in that I think that, again, side three is the peak. It's been a great album up to that point. And it almost seems like the fourth side, we've got to fill this. We've got to complete this. There's there's plenty of times where I Quadrophenia can... less so. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would say Quadrophenia is pretty much perfect. And Tommy, yeah. actually, as well. Um, I think that those are great double. There's plenty of examples I could give that would certainly support the theory. Don't get me wrong, you know, yeah. that I think the albums should should and could have been Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, again, the Frankie album. Yeah. Um, it's almost like somebody said, we're going to make a double album before they figured out if they actually had the, the music to put on it, you know. Um, let's have one more question, Tim, before we wrap up. What's another classic okay, oh question? Oh, God, there's so many. I was there. Well, we've been going for an hour and 10 minutes already. All right. I mean, quick one. God. I'll give you a quick. Let's go through a sort of quick one. Go on then. Quick um, fire. Quick fire round. Album that got you through your first heartbreak? <sighs> no idea. What, what, what do you... I'm going to go for um, Kate Bush Lionheart because when I was sort of in my early teens, that was one of those albums that I'd regularly sort of retreat to my bedroom. What about The listen. Ham? Over. That was a different type of heartbreak. That's but if we're that's talking emotional good heartbreak. Good breakup album, though, isn't it? Brilliant, yeah. No, Can't say I've ever relied on it myself, but yeah. No, okay. I'm not, but that was one album, that, you know, it, almost yeah. for comfort. Because these things that, however melancholy they are, weirdly, they're quite comforting in times of yes of distress. Because you understand that it's a shared experience, shared human experience. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, all media reviews. Nice name, actually. I mean, I'm impressed with the parents on that one. Okay. Um, will the album years include live albums in the lists? Have we not done any live albums? I think we've discussed the ubiquitous nature of. Well, Laurie lives. Anderson's United States, we did. That's yeah. live. That's recorded live, at least. Yeah. Uh, United States of America. And also, you know, certainly during the sort of mid to late. 70s it was real currency have we not talked about things like maybe we haven't done the right years yet maybe we just haven't the years haven't fallen made in japan no we got no we got no problem with that no problem yeah will it feature more years than the 21st century yes sir will the album feature more years from 1960s or earlier we've had those possibly we've had those come on more original questions um more original questions there was one tony kinson okay it's an interesting one I don't know whether we'd be able to answer this, though. Time to step inside the album year's time machine. If you or Stephen could appear on any album from history, playing, singing, producing, what album would you choose? Oh, um, the most fun I ever thought being in a band would be was when I saw LCD Sound System. I've seen them a couple of times live, and I just thought that would be the most fun band to be in. Yeah. Okay. LCD sound system. I don't know what it'd be like in the studio, but definitely in terms of a live live band, they, they sound like they're having a party on stage. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't think I can talk about it, but there are many, you know, I, t- I don't know whether you do this, but when I go to gigs and when I listen to albums, 
Um, and obviously there are exceptions to this, but quite often you kind of listen to them thinking, okay, what would I do with this? How would I organise it? What would I do in terms of sort of sequencing or sound and you've always got ideas and live especially I have that when I'm thinking well that's what I'm talking about like maybe I've misunderstood you know. the question because I was thinking what what band would it be most oh, fun no, to what, be in but he's more could appear on any album I'll appear on any history. album yeah I've I've, you know. um, I've perverted the question haven't I you just didn't I perverted listen. the course of the course of justice yeah it was the course of justice um, what album would I want to be wow I don't gosh I mean I just I, I just can't help thinking in terms of what would have been fun you know would be fun. but you're talking about you're coming at it more from a sort of academic point of view which album do I feel I could have influenced yeah. Away. God, I don't know. I mean, wow. It's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? It is, isn't it? A bit presumptuous. And another double I, I never thought was quite as good. And I love the band, but I never thought was quite as good as people said. Jordan the Comeback. Because I adore Prefab Sprout. Yeah, but that wasn't a double, Tim. This is the error ah. you've made. It was a single CD and a single LP. Even though it's, it's very si- long. It's more than 60 minutes. Ah. It was, it was, you're right, I think 17 tracks or something, is it? Yeah. It was all crammed onto a single LP. And I love it, but I just think, I, I think want two albums out of it. I think it's the weakest of that run. Yeah, yeah. no, I totally agree, yeah. but it's one of those. A joke, well, what's the best album of 1982 and why is it Sulk? All right, so what we're, I'm going to. End on one because you're right. Yeah. There are so many questions and there's so yeah. many excellent questions. And I thank each and every one of you. Yes, thank Brian you. Brian Eno, Stevie Johnny Nicks, Marr, Johnny Marr, Morrissey. Yeah. yeah. The ghost of Miles Davis. Yeah. <laughs> you have all been stars. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean Max Bygraves. You know, in, yeah. in a, yeah. in a Noddy Holder. Or, Is this yeah. a question Noddy from Noddy Holder? Holder? Yeah. Noddy Holder. Yeah. So this last one from Noddy Holder. Okay. It is. Who's it actually from? Do you know what? I'm remembering it from Facebook. Oh, I okay. can't find the so question. So it is from, it is from Noddy probably, Holder. Not only remembering it, I'm misremembering it from Facebook. So it is from Noddy Holder. Or it could so be Dave Hill. Could be Dave, Dave Hill. Dave Hill, Noddy Holder. Yeah. They're asking this question that I've completely forgotten and I'm reinventing it in my own okay. language. Okay. And what they were in essence saying is that anything where you think, my God, why doesn't the world understand this? Yet we do. You know, this particular album, that's a great piece oh, of work, yes. but everyone thinks oh. it really belongs with, you know, the little blue block in your toilet. Oh, bar. loads of albums out. Now there are, but I've got Consequences, one, I, yeah. Yeah, but you see, this is it. Go on then. So, I did. I've got, I had a list on this. Consequences was part of it, but Consequences, It's <coughs> Immaterial Song is another one for me. King Crimson's a Lizard. Pink Floyd's The Final Cut. Can never understand why people do but... No, ditto. The thing is, with all those albums... There are lots of apologists now. Topographic oceans, even. There are as many people who will say, I concur with it's Mr. True. Stephen Wilson's view. It's true. And with Lizard, I remember when I first talked to Lizard with you, we were the only people on the planet, seemingly. And Consequences now has its own podcast dedicated yeah, to that one album. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, so that you're so right. Yes, yeah. They've, they've is been... there an album? And there is. We've discussed it on the album, yes. And I can't, you know, I look and I judge. When I see books on this man's work, I'll always go to this album. And without fail... They say, pompous, directionless, an artist <laughs> at their nadir. Okay, go, give How it to me. How dare he produce this bloated All right, give it to me. piece of offal. Give it to me. So this is the one for me. Van Morrison, common one. Oh my God, it's a masterpiece. And we, you know, you say it, I say it, and I've heard it going, immature. What? Rambling. No, no, I'm not having that. 
And it's like, I'm hearing, I'm thinking, this is one of the best albums. Oh. He's done. This is with Veden Fleece, Astral Weeks. It's up there with Spirit of Eden for me. It's better than the 80s albums that are good. It's I better like, than Spirit of Eden, yeah, even. I it's, like, up, it's definitely up there. I like the Van Morrison 80s output. I do too. In but this is the best. It's the, well, absolutely. Didn't we talk about that one of the very we did. first podcasts? The very first podcast. But I can't find it. I go into Waterstones and I rip out pages from the books. I'm so angry. Right. That, yeah, I, I'm not having that. That that album is an absolute masterpiece. You know, pompous waffle that is an insult to the names it mentions, like right. T.S. Eliot. Right. No, that is nonsense. That Well, that's if that, if that is true, if it's still considered to be a dud, then, yeah, I could not disagree more with that. And then, coming directly off that, yeah. somebody says, I believe it's Laurie Anderson has asked this question. Okay. Not Keith Jarrett. I was about to say he's still alive. It's Keith Tippett who's died, not Keith Jarrett. He's still alive. <laughs> yeah, it should be laughing yeah, about that. Keith, uh, yeah. It's not Keith. No laughing matter. Not yeah. Keith Jarrett. It's uh, yeah. Laurie Anderson. Yeah. And says, what is the worst album that's regarded as part of the canon? Oh, God, there are so many. And, you know, I'm not saying these are bad albums and I like some of them, but if you're just talking about pure overrated albums, yeah. straight away off the top of my head, Blonde on Blonde. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The Stone Roses. Well, I could go on. See, Blonde and Blonde, I agree. I don't think it's a particularly great album, but it's got some great tracks. Yeah. Um, it's double, though, interestingly enough, isn't interesting, it? Interesting, yeah, double. But it, again, I'd, I'd say uh, as a double, it could have been pruned because it has got some fantastic material that, for me, shows the progression of the electric Dylan. But you've mentioned the one that, for me, again, if I've got one that is the most underrated, it's common one because nobody seems to have a nice word about it. For me... The Stone Roses. Mm. I, I could never understand this. You know, I think I cruelly said that it wasn't even the best album in the week it was released. It was about the 20th best album. That yeah. And I do, you know, I love Fool's Gold by The Stone Roses, so I'm yeah. not against the band. And in fact, I even think Ian Brand's done some great solo stuff. You know, Fear was a fantastic single. So I do think there's a lot of talent in the mm. band and I think they've made some great singles. And that Fool's Gold EP I thought was fantastic. Mm. But that particular album, I never could understand mm. its appeal mm. and still can't. And I've tried. Mm. You know, a bit like, as people will hear on 1977, Pacific Ocean Blue by Dennis Wilson. Oh, you've you've given it away now, Tim. I've tried. Oh, all right. yeah, no, I yeah. That, well, the sacred cows, but I mean, the difference there between that album you've just mentioned, it wasn't a commercial success. We're talking about albums here that continue to sell, be reissued year after year after year, and yeah, I you know there are many more. Never yeah. mind the bollocks. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, is that really rated? As a, I suppose it is. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great album in terms yeah. of its artwork. As I've said before, I think that yeah. it ushers in a generation and a certain attitude. But you know, for me, and we've both said this. You know, Leiden gets interesting when he forms Public Image, and they are a wonderful band. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The Clash get interesting on London's Calling or London Town. Yeah, as I London sometimes Town. like to call it. <laughs> that was a shocker, Tim. That was a shocker. I mean, I think basically the similar is pretty much every album that's ever been selected by uh, Pitchfork or NME over the years as the album of the year probably would fall into the category for me, with one or two exceptions. Yeah, apart from Associate Salt, which was the Melody Makers album of the year. Yeah, I guess. And De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising was yeah, also the album were of the year. Some yeah, great you're right. Yeah, unexpected yeah. albums. Very unfair that. Very unfair what I've just said. Delete Indeed. that. But yeah, so those, I mean, those ones were Exile on Main Street. And I've tried. God knows I've tried because I'm constantly being told that they are the greatest albums, quote unquote, the greatest album ever made. Yeah. 
Stone Roses, yes. And I think this is it. That, you know, basically I will spend more time listening to albums like that, trying to understand them, than I will to Pink Moon, which I know to be something that I adore and will always Here's adore. another album that I get fed up with people telling me is the absolute nadir of their catalogue. I know. <laughs> is the absolute nadir of their catalogue yeah. and pretty much worthless. Presence, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, very good album. My favourite Led Zeppelin record. I can't find anyone else that agrees with me, apart from you, maybe. No, I like it. I think, I, I mean, Achilles Last Stand is up there in my top three. Nobody's fault but mine. Yeah, that's T4 a great one. Trem- and also very distinct sound, that album's true. Fun- it's the funkiest they've ever got. Yeah, it's funkiest got quite tough ever. sound, I think, yeah. as well. Yeah. No, I, I prefer it to physical graffiti. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, Cashmere, I think, is a, is a work of genius. Trampled yeah. Underfoot, there's some amazing stuff on the album. But as an album... Well, there's another there's another double that probably should have been... Yeah. There's another good example of a double album that probably shouldn't have been, yeah. Presence doesn't outstay its welcome. No. It's got a sound, it's got an attitude. I guess that, you know, with that album, it was just... It was released at the time it was when the, there was a certain changing of the guard. Yeah. Critically, because it's slightly pre-punk. But, that, but that's, why I, I, that's why I'm surprised that it hasn't been more embraced and re, re, re-evaluated subsequently, like a lot of these other albums that you're talking about have yeah. been. A lot of albums that didn't get that well-reviewed at the time have been you know, subsequently reappraised and now are considered part of the canon of great albums. But that is one... Or people one, love them. One, or people love them, yeah. yeah. You know, the top graph... The topographic ocean. Well, it's a material song. You know, that's now my bought in 1990. It got universally bad reviews and small bad reviews as well. And I thought it was an incredibly heartfelt album that meant a lot to me. Mm. Over the years, I've met dozens of people who think that. And and when it's been reissued, it's the forgotten classic. Right. Forgetting that at the time it was pretty much ignored, didn't sell and actually got right mediocre reviews but as i said common one is that album where i i cannot in print yeah. find a single person yeah who talks about summertime in england oh amazing. in an enthusiastic yeah. way Except i mean me. you know so for me he's taking on board aspects of say miles davis in a silent way as well yeah. and taking it into that kind of almost hypnotic singer songwriter whirlwind of van morrison at his best yeah i stand by my my statement that spirit of eden wouldn't exist without when, when Heart is Open off that record. Yeah, yeah, what a track. Um, and you could say in a silent way too. Yeah, of course, is a, is a precedent for that too. But yeah, um, okay, so yeah, so, I, absolutely. Come on, I'm totally with you. Presence Led Zeppelin for me is one of those albums that I can't find anyone else that will admit to me that they love it too. And uh, yeah. All right, Anil, on that bombshell, I think we will call it a podcast. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to us bickering on as usual. And I hope you, I hope you appreciated the answers to the, anybody that answered a question, asked a question, I should say. Very good questions, I thought. Very high Indeed. caliber. And to be fair, there's about 10 times that amount. And we do wish you a Merry Christmas. Should we go out with a version of uh, Once in Royal, ho, Royal David City? Ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I like Christmas. We like Christmas. Don't we? It's a big pregnant boy. I like Christmas. Tim hates it. From me, Stephen Wilson, and from (laughs) Ebenezer Scrooge across the way from me here. Have a great Christmas. Thank you very much and goodbye. Bye bye. (laughs) 